Good morning. I want to welcome each one of you to the services this morning and each one of you who is visiting with us. What I have to say, as I was sitting here this morning, I thought the Hearst family was doing quite well, and I thought maybe Bobby should continue it. But perhaps he's not prepared. I struggled a bit on what I should speak on this morning. As I saw a direction, I remembered a paper I had tucked in my Bible. It was an outline I had written some time in the past on John 15, 1 to 11. During times I came across it, I had the thought that I should develop it. But with nowhere to share it, I lacked the motivation to work on it. It seemed right that I should share it this morning, and that's what I will attempt to do. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you at this morning's hour. We thank you for this day you've given to us, a day where we can rest from our labors, we can come to your house, be instructed in your word. Just pray to help me this morning as I share what you laid in my heart that I might be faithful in sharing, by sharing a way that would Come across well to those who would hear. How the congregation we might be that light, that testimony in this world as we go about our duties each day and as we travel in this world that the world might see that we have a hope that they are lacking. We might draw them to us and draw them to you. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples." As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Because I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. The title of the lesson this morning, the title of the message this morning is, a joy that is full. Let me read verse 11 for you again. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. Christ is speaking here, and he says, These things have I spoken unto you. The natural question that comes to my mind is, What things? What has he spoken to me, to us, in this passage, that will bring full joy to our lives. 
to find out, we need to go back into the previous verses. As he has said these things, it, it refers back. And we have to start at the beginning of the chapter to find the things. First of all, before we start into the chapter, look a little bit, a little bit at what is joy. If we're going to have it, if Christ wants us to have it, we should have an understanding of what it is. I've often heard that joy has a depth that is always there no matter what our current circumstances are, and happiness is more of a surface emotion. My dictionary gives both words a similar definition with joy leaning towards something a little bit deeper. And my strong concordance defines the word as cheerfulness and calm delight and great joy. It comes in other words, it means cheerful, calmly happy, or well off. The word used in verse 11 is the word that's generally used in most of the New Testament. I concluded as I was studying and meditating on this that there's not a clear black and white line between happy and joy as we sometimes make it out to be. Happiness goes all the way from a silly giddiness over an ice cream cone to calmly happy or maybe excitedly happy like, like if I got my harvest all in and it's all done, the rains are gone, I'm, I'm happy. I even have joy about it. Happy in its deeper states can blend right into joy, and joy can go at depths only available from God. But I was I was thinking as I was meditating on this, how do sorrow and joy fit together? If if joy is something that a Christian has, how do sorrow and joy fit together? In Isaiah fifty three three we see that Jesus is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I'm sure that doesn't mean he had no joy in his life. We'd also look at what about people who experience the death of someone close to them. It's not something that would just bring great joy. There's a sorrow there. How does it all fit together? What about when your new vehicle gets dented or scratched? Or maybe even worse than that, where does joy fit into that? Or something that came to my mind that is very current to me, a few weeks ago, my one gutter cleaner chain came apart. That particular gutter chain goes around the power unit. It's a homemade system. It goes back, it dumps in another unit. And when it comes apart, it's not a happy day. So I found myself in that morning kneeling beside the gutter, not to pray. I was kneeling there getting ready to plunge elbow deep into the manure to put the chain back together. Knowing it's not going to be a quick fix, it's going to take some time. And knowing again, part of the section I needed to fix, I had to keep an eye on the cow so I don't get kicked or bombed from above. Where does joy fit into all that? And I'm sure all of you have your own examples of things that happen that, where's the joy in it? First of all, we must all remember something, and I'll remind you of something I heard many years ago. Be thankful when the problems Stay in the barn. And I believe that covers many areas in life, not just for me in the barn. It's for you and, and your life. Be thankful when the problems stay out of the house. And your vehicle, like a scratched, is in the barn. Just remember that. It's not in the house. It's not those kind of problems. And I try to remember that. I'm not always successful. But I will say in that morning when I was kneeling by my gutter, 
I literally told myself, you are going to fix this gutter. You're either going to grumble about it and ruin your day, or you can do this cheerfully. And I chose to play in the manure cheerfully. And I spent an hour or more doing that. But I want to admit to you this morning that when I was done, I did not complain. Oh, it's done. I can't have any more fun. I was done. I was happy too. But in all situations, we can choose to be happy and joyful in all the situations that stay in the barn. But what about the problems that do not stay in the barn? The ones that do bring the deep sorrow and grief to us. And I believe there we find that joy has a depth. A deep joy has a depth that is foundational or should be foundational in our life. And it will carry us through when the sorrows, trials, and the griefs overwhelm us. Even though at times it doesn't appear there, it's like a foundation under us that will carry us. So how do we lay the foundation of full joy that will support us through life's greatest trials? Now I think our lesson this morning, as Jesus said, these things that I spoke in you, the joy might remain in you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. The things here are some foundational things for having a life that is full of joy, a foundation that is joy. The first step in having a joy that is full is to bear fruit, which we see in verses 1 to 3 in chapter 15. If we want our master's joy to remain in us so we can have joy, we must be productive for him. In Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, We find out, we find there the parable, we find here the parable of talents. Where the man who's having a far country gave to his servants each a certain amount of talents. And told him to occupy until he comes. But when he returned from his journey, they hadn't all done quite the same thing. But the first one came, in verse 21, he says, And he had gained five more talents. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, that good and faithful servant. Thou art faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He had been faithful, he had been fruitful in what was entrusted to him. The second came, verse 23, and the Lord said unto him, Well done, that good and faithful servant. He had gained two more from his two more talents from his two talents. And the master said to him, Well done, the good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. And are thou in the joy of thy Lord. But in verse 30, we see the servant who buried his talent. And the Lord said, And cast you then a proud servant into outer darkness. There's your weeping and gnashing of teeth. The message here is clear in this passage. Fruit bearing, gaining, doing something with the talents they were given was expected. It wasn't optional. Producing for the master 
was an expected outcome the master was expecting. And not bearing fruit, resulting clearly being cut off and clearly not having joy in their life. In these first first three verses of chapter 15, I see here first, and I am the vine and father husband, I see here that we don't do it alone. We aren't required to produce fruit all by ourselves. Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the husbandman. The husbandman is the caretaker of the vineyard. There was not a necessity of somehow we're going to make this fruit happen. There was a good, productive vineyard. There was a caretaker in the vineyard. There was a vine to attach to. Everything necessary for producing fruit was there. It wasn't some some journey that you had to take, and this is going to be difficult. It was all there. It was all prepared. A very familiar verse for us, I believe, or for I would trust, is in Isaiah 41.10, where it says, For thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We all have the support and structure we need to bear the fruit which brings joy into our lives. In having the father as a husbandman, the caretaker, the provider, we all see that we have protection. In a vineyard, in those days, I understand, they fenced it, they walled it, they took care of it, they guarded it so it could produce. The husbandman took care that the vines were able to produce. So we aren't expected to bear fruit and without support. Christ is there. God is there. We have his care to make it possible to bear fruit. And we also have provision with Christ who we can attach to. And the end result, of course, is that we are expected to be productive. It's a given that the branch of the divine we're going to be productive. And we as followers as God's children, are expected to be productive. We all think we would be removed if we don't bear fruit. It's clear here that every branch, for not fruit, he taketh away. There's an expectation that the fruit will be there. And if we don't produce, we will be removed. And I'm not totally sure what all this looks like, how the line is drawn, who's productive, who's not. And we saw in Matthew 25, it's clearly and probably certainly be cut off. But I'm not fully sure exactly how God judges that. And I'm here this morning to, to dig into that. I want to emphasize this morning it's necessary that we are fruitful. Not find out how unfruitful we can be and still be in the vine. It is necessary that we be fruitful. An illustration came to my mind this week. We had a milk test. Milk test is when someone comes and hooks a little tester machine on each one of the milkers, and we go to the barn and we can see how much milk each cow is giving. 
after the milk test was done, and Michael said to me, and he referred to a certain cow, and he said, her production does not justify her existence. Well, that cow looked like all the other cows. She eats, drinks, sleeps with all the other cows. She's right there, right on the vine in the barn with everyone else. But Michael said her production does not justify her existence. So, I don't know what they said about me. My production doesn't justify my existence because, because, well, in, in, in our barn, that means a trip to McDonald's. I mean, she's gone. Not yet, but it's, it's where, it's where she's headed. She must produce. And we must produce. Before I move on, I want to be clear. Producing fruit is doing what God has called you to do at the moment. A few weeks ago, I stood up here and I mentioned that a long time ago, my wife had said she felt she just wasn't doing anything for the Lord. And I had told her that you raised these children for the Lord. That was her fruit at the moment. You don't need to sit there saying, well, I'm not preaching or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. What has God asked you to do now? That is your fruit at the moment. And it might not look very important to yourself, maybe not to anybody else, but we do what God has asked us to do. So those who are not fruitful are cut off, which tells us we should be fruitful. And those who are fruitful, we see in verse 2, that every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. I spent considerable time as I was studying trying to understand what it means for a Christian to be pruned. Someone always understood that Christians are pruned so they bear more fruit. And I had this vision as I, as I knew one man in the orchard, he had this, this saw with a series of those big buzz saws and he drove through the orchard, cut everything off at one level and then he trimmed other branches off and I thought, well, if you, if you whack that much of me off, how am I ever going to do anything? And, and, and I read the verse, and I studied the verse, and I saw it doesn't really say that he will be pruned when we produce fruits, we bear more fruit. It says that we will be purged. And the word purge means to cleanse. Also, pruning is part of that. But it, 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 it's purging. It's making clean, making clear, making pure. When I think of purging, I think of what I do to my diesel tractors when they run out of fuel. I mean, you're supposed to watch that gauge and not run out of fuel, but somehow we always do it occasionally. And when you run out of fuel, there's an older, older machine that I have you, you put fuel in the tank. And then you find the proper screws to open up to let the air bubbles out because it won't run with air in it. And we call that purging it. We remove what is not helpful for the machine to be productive. We purge it. It's cleansed. And when our lives are purged, it's not just a matter of whacking out the bad. I asked my wife, well, what would happen if when you get dirty dishes, you, you prune and you throw the dishes out the door? Well, we soon won't have any dishes. The, the idea is there needs to be a cleansing. There needs to be a cleaning. Sometimes something that's bad needs to be pruned away. But with purging, there needs to be a cleansing. 
a cleaning up, and God will, will do that to us and for us if, already, if we desire to be productive for him. And also realizing as you're willing sometimes not removing always that which is necessarily bad, but removing that also which hinders production. It might even be something that is good in a sense. I once heard Brother Harold Martin say that we're not to go to Florida and play shuffleboard in our old age. Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14 tells us, Those who be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. The fact is there are things that hinder production, and I don't belong playing shuffleboard in Florida when I retire. And neither do you. But recreation is not all wrong. But there are things that take away from our ability to produce fruit. We must remember that fruit is the spiritual works that we do for God. Fruit is faith plus works. And joy comes from the satisfaction that we get when we do what God wants us to do. I mean, it's Christ joying in us, so we have full joy, but we also find many times when we do a task, it gives a satisfaction being accomplishing it. Verse 3 of our chapter here in chapter 15, it seems kind of random at first as you look at it. Verse 3 says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And I thought, well, where does this fit into this? chapter on the vine and joy and purging and, and where does it fit in but as I as I looked at it I saw it now you are clean fits in quite well if you see purging in the previous verse as a cleansing if we are allow Christ to purge us then we will be clean and we are clean through the word as you allow the word to speak into our lives and guide us and direct us. The second point of our lesson is abiding in Christ. The second point we, is the second thing Christ is telling them they need to do so that they can have a full joy. It's abiding in Christ. Now, I abide in my house, it's where I live. If I go off on business and pleasure and all those kind of things, and I live in my mountain house for a while and then my beach house for a while and a few motels in between and I stop in at my residence once every so often and I'm there for a night and move on for more of running around, that might be my legal residence, but I do not abide in that house anymore. I must abide there. I must live there to be abiding in the house. Similarly, Christians... Similarly, the Christian is only with Christ occasionally. It's not abiding with Christ. It's not just something we do every now and then. We just stop in and abide for one day and then we're gone again. We must abide. It is a continual thing. We really don't take a break or a vacation from abiding with Christ. My my father, my mind was drawn to the thought 
I, I, I abide with my wife. And though the rest of you who are married abide with your spouses. But we all know that we can't take, we can't abide with our spouse 364 days out of the year and one day choose somebody else to run off with. That doesn't qualify as abiding with them. That is, you violated the whole thing. Abiding is a continual loyalty and abiding with. Verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. Abiding with Christ is a mutual relationship. We abide in Christ. Christ abides in us. But the reality is we must abide in Christ first. Now, bear with me on this. We abide in Christ first. We invite him into our hearts. We don't go out there and live as we please and Christ continues to abide with us. There's a point that says that they're cut off. We abide with Christ. He abides in us. But we need to continue to abide with him. Abiding with Christ is a necessary part in fruit bearing. We're not going to bear fruit without staying on the vine. Now I was talking about abiding the vine and fruit bearing. I realized very quickly in studying that all the concepts in this passage are overlapping. You can't separate them. You can't have one without the other. You can't do all of them except for one. They're all overlapping. We're listed separately. I'm trying to explain them separately, but we continue to have overlaps because it is a, it is a package. Abiding in Christ is a necessary part in staying connected to the vine. This past Friday morning for family devotions, I read from 1 Kings 17. 1 to 18. And I commented it was one of the sadder passages in the Bible. The passage begins with the Assyrians besieging and then conquering the northern kingdom of Israel. Now I'm going to turn to that. 1 Kings 17, 1 to 18. Sorry, verse 7. For it was so that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up by the land of Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. They were not abiding any longer. And he set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. Verse 11, there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried out before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Verse 13, yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets, by all the seers. He kept warning them, 
Verse 14, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but harden their necks. In verse 15, they rejected his statutes. And verse 18, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, removed him out of his sight, and there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. And in verse 20, the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them to them into the hand of spoilers to cast them out of his sight. I thought it was one of the sadder passages in, in, in the Bible because they were given every opportunity. He was very patient with them. Many times we think of the New Testament being the age of grace and the Old Testament is not, but there was much grace and much patience. But they refused to abide in Christ. They refused to produce. They refused. And I don't think there was any joy in their lives. Abiding in Christ is part of having joy and rejecting Christ will bring great sorrow. And God, as I said, was very patient with him. I don't, I don't see God as someone with a big axe waiting to chop the branch off as fast as he can. And there's somebody that didn't produce today and I'm going to whack him off. We don't want him. God is patient. He gives time. But we must produce. We also see in these verses, in verse 7, that abiding in Christ is a necessity in our prayer life. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you should ask what you will, and it should be done unto you. That is praying in the will of God. You're abiding in Christ, and we understand and we know what his will is. We are one with him. As we continue this morning looking at the things, examining the things that Christ are necessary with joy to remain in us, we've seen already that our joy is full, and we, we see that our first point was we need to bear fruit. Our second point was we need to abide in Christ. And the third point is we must continue in God's love, which you see in verse 9. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. The songwriter in him, the love of God, which is on page 153 in our hymn book, writes in verse 3, Could we with ink the ocean fill and where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill and every man is scribed by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole that was stretched from sky to sky. <clears throat> I did not intend this morning to bring a lesson or a sermon or a message on God's love. I agree with the songwriter. It is a very large topic. But to bring it down to something that I can understand, think with me of a couple on their wedding day. Among the vows they make, something is said about loving till death do us part. It is continuing in love. It means you not go your separate ways, but you're committed to one another, and you live in that love together. When we have love, it's more than just abiding in Christ. There is a, a love relationship. We don't endure this. I am not going to go home this afternoon and endure abiding with my wife. There is something deeper to it. And we do not endure 
our relationship with God. It's not something that we've got to do. It is something that God loves us. We love him. He abides in us. We abide in him. And his love is shed upon us. Continuing God's love, abiding in God's love, abiding in Christ, producing fruit, we must do it until death. There is not a time when we stop. As Harold Martin said, you can't go and play shuffleboard. You can't just stop. And I know there's many accounts in our Bible and many accounts of the Old Testament of people who began well and they fell away. In 2 Kings 12 and in 2 Chronicles 24, we see the account of King Joash. He did that which was right, but not with a perfect heart. And in later years, he fell away. He had a 40-year reign that ended badly. I chose this account as someone who fell away because in my commentary, Adam Clark on that particular passage writes, Oh, how few are the few who begin to live to God continue unto the end. Oh, how few of the few who begin to live to God continue unto the end. Adam Clark wrote that in 1828, back in the good old days. And I think... You know, if I really let that sink in, he's saying of all the people in the world, only a few of them accept Christ. And only a few of those continue unto the end. And if Adam Clark's observation is true, it is a sad, sad commentary on Christians. And those who do not continue to the end, they really don't live that life of joy. We want the life of joy, and yet we want to do our own thing. The two don't really go together. I would say for granted, all of us want a joy that is full. None of us here this morning seek to be miserable. We don't go up in the morning, how can I be miserable today? I mean, that is not, I hope not, your heart's desire to get up in the morning and say, how can I be miserable today? Some of you think sometimes if they can make other people miserable. But, but we are not, we do not get up in the morning thinking, how can I be miserable? We do desire that joy. So if we desire joy and we desire a life that is full, we must then be willing to do what it takes. We're willing to follow what God tells us we need to do. We looked at these number of aspects here, what Christ shared, what, <clears throat> what he says are the things you need to have joy. And I'd be the last one. Someone encompasses them all. They're all important. We can't separate any of them out. But the last one, I believe, encompasses them all. And that is Keep God's commandments. If you keep my commandments, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you should abide in my love. You know, I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. We show our love by walking in God's ways. It always puts me in the faith and works camp, but you really cannot get around if you love me, keep my commandments. There's something that we need to do. Because if you reverse it, it says, if you do not keep my commandments, you not, do not love me. And if we do not love God, we really cannot expect anything. First John 5, 3, we read, his commands are not grievous. God has not asked too much of us. He don't dump this load on what he expects us to do. And we say, I just can't accomplish this. There's no way I can have joy in my life. I can't accomplish what he tells you to do. He doesn't dump us, load us with too much work, too many commands, and we cannot do it. He doesn't ask too much of us. And we as Christians must remember the importance of following his word and driving, walking living a straight course as we follow his commandments. If we don't follow the commandments, we are not going to have a straight course. We're going to miss the joy. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And James 1, 17 describes God as having neither variableness nor shadow of turning. Three weeks ago, I shared in my men's prayer group that some years ago, one of my adult children took a turn at running the combine. It wasn't Michael. You can let him off this morning. He took a turn at running the combine. I think we're combining wheat, but it doesn't really matter. We're combining a grain. We're putting a windrow out the back. So it wasn't corn we were scaring. We're a windrow out the back. Now, as this particular child drove through the field, they kept making corrections Keep that 20-foot header running full. Because you're kind of watching over there trying to keep the thing. And, and, and they kept correcting. And I knew what was happening. And I didn't say anything. When we got to the end of the room, we turned around. I said, now look at that. Who's going to follow that? Because the combine is rear steer. So when the front end is correcting, the back end is swaying back and forth. And that window through the field went like this. Who's going to run that baler? Who's going to run that rake? Who can follow it? We're to follow God's commands, but not in an erratic manner. Continually veering this way and correcting it back and veering that way and correcting back. Obviously, you're not in the right course. I would ask you to correct. But we need to learn how to consistently drive straight. It was only a little bit ago that my oldest grandson took his turn at running the combine. We were doing corn, and the rows were straight. And he was doing a pretty good job. It took a couple of years. He was doing a pretty good job. He was following those rows. But he was making little corrections. And he says, how come I can't hold the steering wheel straight and this thing goes straight? Well, you know if you drive down the road and it's a straight road, you hold the steering wheel straight. Something's not going to work. Because as we go through life and there's little pressures on us, we need little corrections. That's necessary. But erratic driving is not. At times you hear the analogy of life being a road but ditching the other side. I'm not asking anyone to stop using the analogy and I'm not trying to pick it apart. But a thought came to me that a few months ago, we went skidding down the road on the interstate in my truck. 
There were guardrails on each side of the road and a steep drop beyond the guardrails, which you could call a ditch. We used both lanes and both shoulders of the road as we careened down the road. So we were everywhere. Are there any volunteers here who want to go with me? We'll go do it again. Does anybody want to go back and see if we can find those tractors still there and follow those skid marks down the road? Why are there no volunteers? We kept it between the ditches. And we kept going forward. Well, a little bit sideways, but we kept going forward. We did not get in the ditch. That's not the way our Christian lives we follow God's command is supposed to look. We are not supposed to live in a way and follow God's commands that we are always correcting to the point that the one behind us looks out and says, and if you try to follow it, they missed that last swerve you made and they're off the end of the ditch. I do realize the analogy of getting through the ditches works quite well if you're on a single lane highway. You want to draw it that way. But I, I, I thought of this that event in our lives as I I thought, keep God's commands. It's not veering off course and continually correcting so I keep on the highway. It's holding a straight course. Minutely correcting as necessary. I was processing some of these thoughts prior to last Sunday night when I washed a younger brother's feet. When I stood up to greet him, he said, thanks for being a godly example for us to follow. That statement really drove over me the concept of driving straight. It was a statement I couldn't get out of my mind all week, and I hope I never get out of my mind. He burdened me last Sunday with a burden I had before, but he reburdened me with a burden that is a good burden. I need to drive straight. And as I keep God's commands and keep on a straight course, I can have joy in my life as I'm following what he wants me to do, and I can also joy in my life as those who come behind can follow my course. For if I continually swerve and I wonder what happened to them and where's, where, why, why is everybody going astray but I didn't have a course that they could follow. Keep the commandments. That statement in verse 10 is a lot packed into it. Now, I desire you to see this morning that our example, our spirit of the Lord, is all tied to keeping those commandments. We've got to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. And if we do not, we will not have that joy that Christ is mentioning. We see in the second part of verse 10 that we are Christ's example of how to walk how to keep the commandments. Keep my commandments, you should abide in my love, even though I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Christ came into this world, I guess with the command, not I guess, I know with the command, his purpose was to die for the sins of mankind. And he fulfilled that. We are not asked to do more than Christ did. We, I've never been asked to do that much. 
we can follow, we can obey, we can listen to what God tells us to do. I realized this morning that in this passage that I have been working out of, there are many sermons. Each point could have been expanded. It was not my purpose to expand that, but it helped us to see that if we desire a life of joy, we must desire to walk in the things that God has called us to walk and to be fruitful for him. For we will not have joy if we're out there doing our own thing, living for ourselves. In conclusion, let me reread verse 11 for the beginning of the conclusion. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. We see a lot of hopelessness and despair in the world around us. At times, events occur that make us realize there's a lack of joy and even despair in those who we see as professing Christians. In these verses, which we looked at this morning, we see that Christ instructs on something necessary for joyful living. The pleasure of the world won't bring the joy that we desire. And a truck full of lasers won't either. We go after all these things, and they're not going to bring that joy that we desire. We can look at it and say, oh, this would be fun. It's not going to do it. The joy that we desire, the joy that people need, comes in faithfully walking with God and faithfully serving and faithfully being fruitful for him. We need to bear fruit, abide in Christ, continue in God's love and keep God's commands. Now, I don't want to be guilty this morning of being some kind of motivational speaker who lays out the four steps of success and walks out of the room leaving everyone to wonder how you're really going to accomplish this. This takes work. This is not some simple formula. Bearing fruit does not just happen. Abiding in Christ, we need to spend time with God in daily devotion and prayer. It's not something that just happens abiding in Christ. We need to put forth the effort. Continuing God's love, if we are not growing, we are dying. And we must keep God's command. That involves digging into God's word to know his will, not just memorizing the Ten Commandments and I got it and moving on. It's continued digging to know God's will. But it will be worth it. God promised us full joy as reward, joy here in this life, even more joy in heaven to come. Let's stand for closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come again before you this morning and we thank you for your word you've given to us. We thank you for the way your word speaks to us, the way your word contains what we need for successful Christian living, for living that was pleasing to you. We pray to help us to be a, a light in this dark world, a light in this troubled world. Help the minister those around us where we can help us to bear fruit for you. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.